Hello and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, we will be taking us through Funeral for a Friend. Okay, thank you very much. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great, and um, we are really pleased to be joined by uh, our first friend of the podcast, Pedram Valiani. Hi, Ped. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you so much for uh, for having me on today. I'm uh, Pedram, and I play guitar in uh, Frontier and Sectioned. Oh, no, it's good to have you on. You're our very first guest, so we're absolutely honoured that you join us uh, on our, our wee pod. Indeed, thanks very much. And it was Pedram's choice to talk about an album that was really special to, well, now all three of us, casually dressed and deep in conversation, which myself and Keith then thought we're going to build this out into an entire Funeral for a Friend episode because they're so important to us all. Yeah, absolutely. In saying entire Funeral for a Friend episode, we're, we're, we're not, we've not... I've not done the fullback catalogue. There just there just wasn't enough time to go through all of it. So I pretty much stop around memory and humanity and then I can mention the rest of the albums. But I think that's it. Our core value was uh, was was casually dressed and ours, I think, was the, the name of the game. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, so Ped, just a quick intro. You've mentioned you're in bands Frontera and Sectioned. Just start us off. Why did you pick casually dressed? Big question. Take it away. It's one of my favourite albums of all time. I have so many memories associated with this record and with this band. Um, up to about hours. Uh, I didn't like Tales Don't Tell Themselves. I think that was the point where a lot of their dedicated fan base dropped off. Not uh, this guy. Not this guy. Yeah. This guy, definitely. I'm 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 in team pet on this one. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think it was and I think actually that was probably my first the first time where I was really into a band where the sound had changed so drastically that it put me off the rest of the discography. Like it was the first time that actually personally had happened to me um, thinking about it. So yeah, um, I picked up a lot of bands around that time later in their discographies. And I tend to do this, like I find a band and normally find their later discography and work backwards. So yeah, Funeral for a Friend, Casually Dressed specifically, I kind of had to toss up between this and ours and make a decision and I came to the decision that this one would be a better talking point because I think there's more that could have been done with this album I think it's it's a phenomenal record but I feel like yeah there's there's one or two things I thought could have could have changed that would have made it better just in terms of the sequencing and some of the track selection so I'll stop there and uh, if you want to prod why then I'd be happy to tell you a bit more Oh no, I think I know where you're coming from with this, and it's something that's come up in my research of this album. I mean, Keith mentioned earlier while we were just kind of bantering there before that we're rediscovering albums. We're going back over and listening to them with a critical, more of a critical mindset of, of in our mid thirties now, sort of reviewing things that as as you know, eighteen year olds at this point probably that we were just totally obsessed with. And I, I'm I'm totally in the same camp. I was deeply obsessed with Funeral for a Friend for many many years, and it really did. Tales Won't Tell Themselves was a, a big drop-off for myself. I'd been into them probably when I first ever heard them was this year's most open heartbreak. And 
as I've now been informed, well, I saw it on SCUS, but Keith lovingly just told me, and I love this little factoid, not only did I see that on SCUS, but apparently that was the first ever video shown on SCUS TV. Now that's a fact. Did no one know that? No, I didn't know that, actually. No, I didn't. That's I, that's cool. I don't... I mean, I'm not saying I was there for, for the first... You were there at 7 o'clock. You were... You know, broadcast <laughs> of SCUS. I might have... 7 a.m. I was, like, glued to channel whatever it was on Sky. But I, I, I've just always had the memory that, like, that was the first song that SCUS ever played. And I gave it a quick googs, and yeah, it comes up in the BBC reporting that the, the channel was closing. And, and it verified that um, this year's Most Open Heartbreak was the first song ever played and and that's definitely where i found faff as well like that that song is to this day i think still pretty awesome and and, and i was in love with them from that point on like I've, and i've i stuck through them you were saying tales don't tell yourself tales, tales don't tell themselves people dropped off and i get why that that happened it is a drastic change in sound and you might argue they sort of maybe always try to come back from that and maybe didn't quite get there there's 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 a lot to to talk about about where they went and what sort of sounds they try to produce but i'm sure we'll we'll get there as the the pod goes on yeah for for sure so i was a bit surprised when pedram suggested casually dressed as um if anyone has ever listened to, to pedram's bands they don't sound anything like Funeral for a Friend. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah. Yeah, on, only in ways that I have like written down internally. I don't think anybody on the face of it would be like, this sounds like a Funeral for a Friend song. So I agree. Yeah. So I, I, I was really expecting you to pick something a bit, bit heavier. But you know what? On In in hindsight and in retrospect, I think it's it's makes sense from, from where we all kind of came from. Who doesn't love Faf, though? I mean, did, uh, short of maybe like your your old school thrash guys or whatever at the time, or you know whoever was, if if, if you were if you were stuck in like a, a particular sound at that time, like who who didn't love Funeral for a Friend? Is that is that fair to say? I was going to say you you mentioned the old school thrash guys. Basically, when Funeral for a Friend got to support Iron Maiden, they, yeah, they did not go down well. They did not go down well at all. Uh, I didn't make that tour, but. Uh... I, I do remember it, and I thought mm, that's that's a bit of an odd one, but still, still pretty cool. Absolutely. So, just kind of did my research on it, and I think it kind of comes to to what Pedram's saying there about the the album. Sort of casually dressed was a bit of a mis- mishmash of different EPs and recordings that they'd done up to that point. So they formed in two thousand one. They were first known as January Thirst. Never heard of that name until terrible like, name. Terrible, terrible name. Probably like one out of ten name. Would you go and see January Thirst live when you were seventeen, though? I can't tell if you're saying January Thirst or January First. Thirst, thirst, like the drink, like <laughs> thirsty. I think it's meant to be a pun. I'm, I think it is meant to be like a play on words. No, I would not go see January Thirst. <laughs> Thinking of bands that used to have like terrible names, I can't think of one that that had like a bad name and then changed it into something a bit more appealing. Well, we went through Lincoln Park, didn't we? They had a couple of choice names. Oh, they had a stinker after zero. The name, the name escapes me now. It was proper terrible. But then, that was that was all contractual. That was all like nonsense rights issues where they couldn't call themselves hybrid. Hybrid theory. They couldn't call themselves. Why was it again? Because there was like a dance group called Hybrid Theory or something. There was a dance band called Hybrid from Wales. They make like soundtrack for BBC 
documentaries and stuff. Oh wow! I'm sure we'll talk about it later on, but like clearly there was there was a there was a a, a time in the noughties, maybe what 2000 to 2008, where Wales were just absolutely pumping out tunes. Funny you should say that. A lot of these were recorded. So the first EP between Order and Model, uh, that was recorded at Mighty Atom Studios in Swansea, where other bands that had used Mighty Atom were like Million Dead, Johnny Truant, big love for Johnny mm-hmm. Truant. And then if you recorded at Mighty Atom Studios, there was also the chance that you'd get your record released on Mighty Atom Records. So they had this kind of purpose to them to, to sort of do that. The original singer was called Matthew Evans. And then they got Matthew Davies in, now Davies Cree. There was a lot of like lineup changes after between between order and model and the four ways to scream your name EP. There was like all these little sort of changes that they kind of swapped around. And it wasn't until the four ways to scream your name EP in the UK or the seven ways to scream your name EP in the US that they really got their lineup in, which was because they were the promos EPs that they then made in the release of, of Casually Dressed. Um, I've already mentioned there, my, my biggest pet peeve that isn't on Casually Dressed is is that missing song, This Year's Most Open Heartbreak. So, yeah, this is, an, this is basically what I wanted to talk about with this album. So th- there's a couple of things that... Let's talk about tra- track order first, right? So for me, <clears throat> I revisited it, and it's one of the things that I, that always stops me from like giving an album like a total, like perfect score is the filler and and the ordering of the the tracks. And I just think with casually dressed, you know, they, it ends on novella, but whenever they play live, it ends. The set would end with like escape artists never die right so like that's track five i don't know why they decided to put novella at the end like it's it's a long track that kind of goes a lot of places and it's it's a good track but i don't know it feels as a as an ender it feels more like um it was it was for presentation than for substance and you know going back to lav's point why was this year's most of a heartbreak not on this on this record why why did they not re-record the art of american football and put that on this record like they have so many tracks like they had so many early bangers that were just one-off singles or on like eps there's other ones like there's tracks that maybe you know some fans don't realize like kiss and make up is a brilliant song like there's so many other better songs that i think could have replaced tracks like waking up i mean I, I mean i'm personally not not a huge fan of, of waking up um storytelling is good but like again if i was to pick the art of american football over like storytelling or waking up like absolutely all day long like you know i was just saying as well it would have been absolutely amazing to get a, to have got a hold of the japanese release of this album because Tracks thirty. If you, if any, we don't have any listeners in Japan, so I'm totally cool with saying this. Um, not yet. No one has heard. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We'll see where we not go. Um, but tracks thirteen and fourteen on the Japanese release. Track thirteen was this year's most open heartbreak, and track fourteen was Kiss and Make Up. And 
There you go. That one. So that Kiss and Makeup is actually on the very first Between Order and Model EP with a totally different structure, missing some really good hooks that they then brought in when they re-recorded it for Seven Ways to Scream Your Name and Four Ways to Scream Your Name as well. I'm just going to use those terms interchangeably. Like The whole thing that Seven Ways being released in America is like a, a sort of great... It was almost as a greatest hits EP before they'd even yeah. released a debut album. It was bizarre because it had one of their weakest, weakest songs, The Getaway Plan, on it. Just, I actually thought I'd downloaded the wrong song when I first heard that one, Keith. Do you think that sort of comes down to, to where they were at the time? Because they did do Order and Model and then they did do Seven Ways to Scream Your Name. So was there not already sort of overlap in songs there? And then re- to release them for a third time on their sort of debut, maybe, maybe that's why they didn't go there. I mean, I agree there are some better songs that were on some earlier EPs, but they're obviously out there to make some new material for the album. Yeah, and I mean, that could have been the producer's decision as well. Like, uh, I understand that, but I think, you know, as a as a fan and as somebody who writes music as well, I would I, I just pick some of those tracks over over what's, what's in Casually Dressed. I mean, <clears throat> Your Revolution is a Joke is a great change-up in terms of pace for the record, so, like, probably one of the reasons why it's there, but I don't listen to it a lot. You know, I, I don't... It's a bit too melancholy for me. Like, I, even though, like, you know, for a friend, like, the lyrics and stuff are quite melancholy, like, that's maybe, you know, as an acoustic, I'm just kind of like, nah. Whereas there are other acoustic songs by other bands, like, you know, Deftones or something like that, that I can stick on and listen to and not get that same sort of, like, oh, I don't want to listen to this kind of sensation. I remember, um, like, loving Your Revolution as a joke. Like, I remember that being, like, so deep, you know, 15-year-old me, and I'm just like, your revolution's a joke, man. Like, you know, the gif of, like, your head exploding and just being, like, yeah. so, like, engrossed in, in, in that song. And I think what you're saying is the change-up on it. Like, it, it's it, it's nice for it to drop into that. And it just sort of maybe caught me unawares to have this acoustic song, and especially coming straight out of Red is the New Black. Like, very... That's a very provocative song, emotionally provocative song as well. So, yeah, that, that was a real... Um, a real thumbs up from me at the time for sure so yeah i kind of alluded there that after hearing this year's most open heartbreak for the first time went home fired up napster as you do and just like <laughs> smashed in funeral for a friend and just saw what i got and just literally battered every single song that came down realized that some songs would had different titles i think my friend used to call red is the new black he used to call it trust because that's clearly what someone had just named it, like randomly when yeah, yeah, making yeah. making yeah. their songs and then putting it on peer to peer sharing. Sites. They say the words trust. That must be the name of the song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah, all, yeah, totally it's logical nonsense. Then that's where I picked up a load of like these EP versions because it was before Casually Dressed came out that I'd started picking up all these sort of old versions. So to me, Janu is always going to be Juno, and. You mean Juno is always going to be Jan- Janu or whatever the fuck I'll, you just I'll said? Always, I'll always known it as Juno because it was it was originally just called Juno. That's that's how I, that's how I still knew it was called. I didn't realize that. So there you go. You're correcting me. Well, what's the correct that's pronunciation? Because yeah, I think is it not Juno? I don't. It, it, do they just like French? I, I pronounce it Juno. I've always heard it Juno. Yeah, I think it is. It's got it's got an O. It's an O. Yeah, it's like French. Yeah, that's how I pronounce. That's how I would pronounce it. Fun, funnily enough, I'm looking. I've, between, I've got um, Spotify and Wikipedia open. 
on between order and model the 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 remaster from 2013 it's spelled j-u-n-o juno but mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. in wikipedia it's spelled j-u-n-e-a-u yes juno. that's that's the album version so the the yeah that's true i'm true just pointing version. out the spellings it's it's uh i would still to this day it's it's, it's juno or juno to me ah uh, i've just always known it as juno with an o juno like the film juno yeah yeah um, but they reused some recordings. So Escape Artists Never Die and She Drove Me to Daytime TV. The recordings that are on Four Ways to Scream Your Name were the exact same recordings that were used on Casually Dressed. They just remastered them a bit louder. Yeah. So this is why, by looking at like the piecemeal of where it was recorded, it was recorded across at least two different recording studios the the biggest most were recorded at chapel studios in london those two songs and like i say it's just weird that they would i don't know whether it's a debut album thing because they've been writing songs for probably by this point they'd have been writing them from probably the best part of two years with a, a massively changing lineup they've sort of just it is quite literally now to do a bit of research on it it's quite a, literally a mishmash of an album to pull together but we we saw that on um on papa roach though when we covered infest they had pretty much had all their big hitters recorded prior to to infest and then sort of did a few other tracks and boom there's your album so it's uh it stands to reason that they sort of had some 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 hits in the in the bag and then put them onto the the actual studio release yeah it was released through uh, Infectious Records. They were they were sort of the the name that were, were put to uh, many of the EPs. Uh, the, now Infectious Records they were actually part of Mushroom Records for a, a short while, who we discovered were the people who originally released Muse's Origin of Symmetry. Mm. Hashtag always be plugging. Now, what I have also discovered was that. Parts of Mushroom Records were actually sold off to the Warner Group and released under the Atlantic Records label. So by the time Funeral for a Friend's debut album, Casually Dressed and Deep in Conversation, came out, it was on Atlantic. Now, something I'm gonna, I want to ask Ped about as our guest here. His bands, uh, especially Frontera, fully, fully DIY. Yeah, fully self-funded. I mean, things have things have changed now so it would depend on your definition of like diy but it's very much like like we are pretty much doing everything but we have a couple of changes now like we have a different booking agent or we have a booking agent rather uh, in europe martin uh, avocado so he's doing all of our european booking now whereas before me and dan would get together and get all the shows booked ourselves and um, fun fact as well so okay. i don't know if you know but uh, this this blew my my tiny mind as well when we joined avocado i found out that matt davis cray the vocals from Friend for friend does digital and, and i think he does digital and marketing or he works in the digital space part of avocado sweet so like that's weird that's I mean, I've, I've not spoken to him about it but like that's just crazy. Are they me. are they based in Germany? Because from what I know from Matt's uh, Instagram, is he actually got um, German citizenship a few months yeah. ago? So he has dual nationality now. Yeah, yeah. I think his his wife actually 
owns Avocado, um, and he he works there. Or, yeah, so um, he's got German citizenship. But it was just it was just crazy, and it was quite like fanboy for me, being like, wow, like booking agency now that's booking our tours. He's like working there, and like obviously love love their music. So it was pretty pretty cool for me. I've got a total cringe story with Matt, where. I had seen them, I can't remember the year, but they um, they played Inverness, uh, the Ironworks in Inverness, and I just happened to have a friend up there, he was up there uh, working, he invited a few of us up, and we went to go see a funeral for a friend. I was the only Faf fan there, We only, the rest of the guys just came to the gig because it's Inverness and there's not much more to do, sorry for people who listen and live in Inverness, but uh, so we went to this gig, a friend gets pretty shit-faced drunk goes taps off and just starts screaming like play roses for the dead play roses for the dead to the point where matt acknowledged them and was like yeah man it's coming shut the fuck up and i just died inside because i was with the shirtless dickhead taunting the band i was fucking gutted (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to be that that guy that guy at a gig but good news that they played it but yeah oh god that would be uh that would be a bit embarrassing that was just sure. that was just kind of like my only moment and then i sort of fanboyed out at the end and tried to go meet him but i was just like i hope you don't think i was with him like because i was standing <laughs> right next to him when he acknowledged them i was like oh no just ruined my life here <laughs> just, just i um i so i briefly met him at well i won't remember me but it was at the corn exchange when they played that gig and that gig was Fight Star and Funeral for a Friend at the same gig at the Corn Exchange in Edinburgh. And that will go down as well as one of the, the gigs that I, I, I still remember like so much vividly the environment and everything about that gig. And uh, yeah, you know, we were just kind of waiting at the, the back side of the Corn Exchange um, on the other side of the gates where they're, I think they had, I don't know if they had a bus. They definitely had some sort of touring vehicle. It might have just been a van even at that point. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, Matt came out and came to the gates and stuff, and it was just like, don't know, real, real fanboying hard over that. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. I was just going to say that gig was actually a delayed one, so it was supported by Fight Star in the end in two thousand six at the Corn Exchange. It was originally scheduled to be Motion City soundtrack. We're going to be the support, but I think was it going to be like February or March time? But Matt came down with laryngitis. So they postponed the rest of the tour. Now that tour was the tail end of the hours tour. They by that by the time right. it was out in April was it April or May? It was May two thousand six, I think. That gig by then they'd been touring that whole time supporting hours for a year because I'd seen them a year earlier in Newcastle, just after like literally the week after hours came out. Yeah. Totally, totally different show. Considering it was supported by Bullet for My Valentine and uh, a Static Lullaby, so it was a bit, bit of a different, different vibe. Uh, the Welsh boys on tour. I had um, just another fucking cringe story as well. I'd gone to see Faf again. I can't remember the year. I've seen them. I've seen. I've probably seen Fear of a Friend, probably ten times. Lucky. maximum like 10 times I'm like that's not a flex I'm not trying to like outdo people here but I've, I've caught them in a few places and uh, I'd gone to see them at the Barrowlands in Glasgow 
but I was outside having an argument with my girlfriend at the time because I just kind of like I just a free ticket turned up on the day so I essentially just like ditched her and went through to Glasgow for the gig so there I am like pacing outside the venue having this argument someone taps me on the shoulder and I just sort of turn to let them pass it's fucking Darren Smith and he walked into the tour bus like I was stopping him from getting into his tour bus and I was like just sort of realised everyone's looking at me and I'm just like I gotta go man like things are happening here like Jesus Christ yeah um no it was just it was just to say like i was going to talk a bit more about that gig and say um the the, the fights with with fight star uh supporting instead that was a a preference for me like i loved like i loved fight star as well i think you know they had a couple of brilliant records um sort of like the same lifespan with with Freedom for a friend but they did a cover as well of she drove me to daytime TV, and I, I love the cover as much as I love their original. I don't know if you've if you've listened to the Fight Star cover of that before, but I, I really like it. I've not, but I'm so glad you said that because I was gonna ask what what were people's thoughts on Fight Star? Because as soon as I heard, what was it, Pendulum, Pendulum, something's laughter, Pal- laughter, yeah, Palinuix's laughter. The second I heard that, because my friend let me hear it not telling me it was charlie simpson and i was like shit man that's a gem that's pretty that's pretty cool i quite like that song and he was like that's the guy from busted and i don't know why but i just embraced it i was like no this is good and i sort of like went into them and got their i thought their first album was amazing we might need to cover that actually that might be one i've missed but i genuinely really liked fight star that first second album as well like anyone else i didn't have a problem with them i remember really early on in, in busted's career they they had some interview in like some magazine i can't remember what it was, it was just lying around one of those ones in like a doctor's surgery type things and I, it was an interview of, of him being asked about, what doctor's surgery did you go to where was it, was no, 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 it, was, it was when he was in busted so it was like it was like a smash oh, okay, hit. i want to say it was like a copy of smash hits or some other shit fucking cosmo cosmo magazine anything anyway they were interviewing charlie sounds Simpson, more like it and he was asked about what bands does he listen to and I remember being like taken aback when he mentioned Deftones, and I was like, "Oh, okay then, maybe maybe this guy's on the level." And then when he came, when first heard Fight Star, likely on Scuzz, I was like, "Oh, this is okay. I'm not going to go out of my way to listen to it again, but yeah, it's it's fine." That's sort of my take on Fight Star. Yeah, I I. I... I like that first single as well, um, Palinuix Laughter. And, you know, I think it was one of those things around that time when you were younger, like, I think there was peer pressure was maybe more of a thing. And, like, if you'd said that you liked that, but, you know, you'd get slagged for liking Busted, for, for liking busted or something, people would just be really pointless over it, you know, like, they'd be really childish. And I think some people just em- embraced them. And I just genuinely loved their their discography i think it was up to one day sun that that record it's just like so good they had some really great hits he's got, he had a fantastic voice capable of a lot of different styles but like i've just never followed them on beyond that uh, i think once the personality started to come out a bit more with charlie through various interviews and stuff that he did for fight star where he wasn't like under the the microscope of busted and people got to see the, the personality more i think it really helped um elevate fight star a bit and uh yeah definitely definitely dig those records i don't know if you could go back to them now lav and and listen to them the same way and, and get any enjoyment out of them but 
Um, I would I would definitely advocate it if you if you haven't if you if you think you're in a nostalgic mood maybe pick it up. Nostalgia is the reason this podcast exists. It's, paid. it's going to get covered now. But one thing that did pull me out is like I had to find out what Palinuic meant, and then I discovered Chuck Palinuic, the writer of Fight Club, the writer yep. of yeah. um, one of my favorite short story compilation books, Haunted. Now, but and that was because of discovering that it was like, oh, Fight Club, all right. And then you go to the bookshop and you look up Chuck Palahniuk and into this book called Haunted, and then you read chapter two, and your life is never going to be the same again because it's you just read one of the most disturbing horror stories you could read about a child in a swimming pool. <laughs> that that first album was called Grand Unification, and I'm just remembering now. There's a massive ballad on that on yep. that album. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know if you know Ped. But I'm just I'm having flashbacks to like losing my shit over that song and, and it just really, really getting me at the time. Like and yeah, I think we're gonna have to go back to Fight Star That's fine with me. It's Grand Unification Part Two. Is it? Yeah. Right, thank right. you. I knew it was near the end and I'm looking at Grand Unification Part Two like, yeah, it's three minutes fifty six seconds. It, it could have been that one. And it's a that that song hits. Yeah, it's the one that's like quite orchestral. When was it released? 2006. So, so I, I, again, this was on the hours. This is the second half or the later half of the hours tour that this was coming up, I guess. So, yeah, that starts to make sense because I'm like, Casually Dress came out in 2003. We've we've jumped we've jumped a good uh, three years there. I was trying to work out where, where we were going with that. So okay. let's get back on track, okay. shall we? Back to back to funeral yeah, for a friend. So I think we've kind of gone down most of the route of. Of that, so it was released in October two thousand three on Atlantic, as I mentioned. There, there were three singles that got released from the album. The first single that got released was Juno, that came out to number nineteen in the UK charts. She drove me to daytime television, that got to number twenty, and Escape Artist Never Die got to number nineteen. Uh, the album itself was certified gold, and it peaked at number twelve. A solid performance for a 2003 rock album if you ask me yeah so like i think not that they're not doing it currently but like that era like wales was smashing it with a lot of really cool and interesting bands that put a lot of uh a lot of influence on everybody we won't talk about lost profits before anybody there's, i was about <laughs> to say there's the one the, the one that shall yeah, not be named yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I've named it now. So, um, but no, they, they were doing. There was a lot, a lot of cool stuff uh, coming around around that time. Um, it wasn't just those guys though, because you had. I mean, one of the first bands that come to mind. They weren't really a band I listened to, but obviously Stereophonics are in are in that branch as well of Welsh music. You had Bullet for My Valentine, who I think got pretty successful. Um, I certainly loved the Poison. We'll, we'll probably hit that later on as well, Lav, but. Yeah, what, what what other sort of Welsh bands did we have at the time, or or around? Uh, you had Hondo McLean. They sort of kicked out about kicked up a bit later, but they also recorded at Mighty Adam. What was the other one? Just escaped me. The Blackout. Um, yeah. Their singers now got the Sappinen podcast. Pretty doing yep. pretty well. This was a band I listened to quite a lot actually. I think they only really did two three albums, but Kids in Glass Houses. They were like a really sort of nice indie sort of post-hardcore band as well i was going to mention them yeah yeah but if you consider that like wales with its population size and like in that certain time period all of like a lot of those bands came around 
in the same space. Like I can't think of a time. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm trying to think of like bands from Scotland with a, with a country sort of similar sort of population have done the same thing in the same window. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's if it's really happened on the same scale. Yeah, I don't even think we're a similar population. We're about three, four times the size yeah, of yeah, uh, Wales, yeah. and we've still not produced sort of such a such a flash in the pan of quality as um, flash in the pan's an insult. You know that that prolonged like episode of like good bands that 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 did very well for themselves. I do always wonder what is the spark, what sparks a good music scene like that. And did you mention that Gareth had a music shop? Uh, I didn't know, Ped. No, I didn't. No, I don't, no, don't think so. Did I hear that? I don't know. I don't know where I've heard that. Sorry, but I just wonder. Always wonder what is like the the, the sort of the beginning of a good music scene. Is there? Is it? Is it one person? Is it a group of people that like have links? Because they must have been. They were importing something back in two thousand and one. That sound. They sounded like an American band. So did Lost Prophets. Yeah. So did. Yeah. Um. I. I would probably argue to say kids in glass houses to a, to a degree as well. They sound, they had a very American Americanized sound that they were importing. They were one of the first bands I remember with funeral for a friend were anyway, skinny jeans and fringes probably yeah. before I sort of realized that was going to be a thing. Well, that's, that sort of brings, that's almost the, 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 kid in skinny jeans and a black t-shirt and a studded belt with a fringe in the room you know what i mean that's that's emo isn't it and this is this is the the the, the comeuppance of of emo i think at the time and funeral for a friend i think led the the the, the quote british wave of 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 emo at the time totally totally we had no i sorry i know where you're getting the um the the shop from and it's <laughs> for our listeners and ped before we started recording i just googled that this year's most open heartbreak fact uh, and found a funeral for a friend quiz so we might drop that in at the end of the episode sounds 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 good i think it was it was also like just to go back to that point as well it's about a particular subgenre, like that that sort of i don't know call it subgenre genre of music there was just so much quality in that sector that came out of like wales like scotland has got some amazing bands that have come out off various scales whether you like them or not from like mm-hmm. biffy to boards of canada to like you know bell and sebastian but i think it was just more that at that point in time wales just produced these bands all in the space of about five years and loads of them got signed and like had hit singles and then went on to do like other things i think it's just i don't know there must be some I'd be, I'd be interested to know if there's some sort of like recipe for what happened in that window. Maybe it was right place, right time that just made everything go. I watched it. Uh, I got onto the Funeral for a Friend uh, YouTube channel and they've got like a lot of really old, crappy sort of studio diaries and it's just handheld stuff and it's just the guys. It's not professionally done or anything. But uh, it's it's Chris, the guitarist, at one point says, you know, I think it's a three minute interview and they were just kind of like, you know, oh, I can't remember what the question is, but essentially Chris's response is, well, there's only three things you do in Wales and it's either play rugby, join a band or take drugs. So, you know, there's 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 a, there's a moment there where like it's kind of the light bulb of just all these guys have, have contributed to this music and clearly it was it was pretty good. So yeah, absolutely. after, uh, we've kind of touched on, on I think, casually, so with Casually Dressed, it's been out there, it's sparked something. How did you feel, Ped, 
when ours came out what was your sort of first feeling when they that set when you first heard all the rage what was your what was your immediate kind of gut reaction so this is the thing i i struggle to remember but i i think ours got me properly into the band it's kind of I, i went like in a weird route so i'd heard the order model between order model ep and funnily enough this was around the same time when i was starting to get into like sound production and and stuff as well and i just thought like these recordings suck like i can't listen to this and it just seemed to coincide with the release of like streetcar on kerrang and like on scuzz so i saw the video for streetcar then streetcar got me into hours and then from hours i worked my bait back to casually dressed and then basically picked cherry picked songs i think i started off with casual dress by going for the ones that were on the between order model ep and listening to them hearing the re-recordings of like um of, of, of juno and especially red is the new black and being like this is exactly how i wanted that to sound and it sounds so much better like like it was just a sudden boost in audio quality and i was just like wow this is awesome um so that's the sort of weird route i think i went around to get to that album what about you, Lav? How did you feel when when hours hit? Because you you were, I think you were a bit more into the EPs than I was. I just sort of like I accepted um, this year's most open heartbreak and sort of took the songs from there. And as we've already said, I sort of stuck with Faf throughout the years. So I've kind of got this whole back catalogue in my head where for you it's very much the EPs casually dressed. How did you feel when when hours I, hit? I felt I felt it was a bit. I wanted something heavy. I I wanted like the band to get heavier and i don't know i had there was no i set the expectation for myself but you know bad songs like this year's most hope mark break out of american football those were bangers those were absolutely like rip roaring quite metallic sounding songs in a in a way with with some tinges of of like emo melodic kind of parts so i like the idea of if they could kind of go back to their roots some some dumb shit like that and I set the expectation that I wanted ours to be much, much heavier and kicking off in that way. And when I first heard, when I, on my first listen through, I was a bit like, oh, it's not what I wanted. But it, it grew on me so, so much. And in re-reviewing the albums this last couple of weeks, going like, listen to them, it's been like a really nice, refreshing album because of its quality it's so much easier on the ears than um than casually dressed is because it's i think going back to sort of pedram's very very first point the album order feels much more mature and it it sits in it 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 feels like a, a much more coherent set of songs a much more coherent piece of work and that to me Took took time. I had you know I had to come to the own realization that okay, it's not the heavy, super brutal metal album that you wanted, but it's an absolute banger in every other respect. So I give it that. And seeing that live because I didn't see, I never saw Casually Dressed on its own live and with all the EPs and things. My first time I saw them was the Hours tour in two thousand five. And they had just come out. So they didn't really play that many songs from ours the first time. But by the second time, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the songs had started like getting into the the set list a bit more. 
Yeah, well, funnily enough, you're um, you're talking about how well the album order sits, and 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 it's a, a far more coherent piece than perhaps what Casually Dressed is. That's because our old friend, our old mate Terry Date, producer, produced this album, and we've we've covered Terry before. He's done Corn, Funeral for, uh, obviously Funeral for a Friend, big one being Deftones. I realised earlier he also did Incubus's Science. Um, you know, we did Morning View. I didn't realise Terry Date did Science as well. So you were talking about Funeral for a Friend. We're bringing in that American sound. I think ours is that American sound. Like I, I think ours is very Americanized. You can even tell from the video from Streetcar. It's filmed in an American high school. Monsters was the was another single off of it. Bit of a weirder video, but I sort of still get. It's kind of got the same polish. It's got the same sort of production as what um, Streetcar does. And then History and Roses for the Dead were, were the third and fourth single off of ours. They're definitely filmed back in the UK. I mean, one of them is about the Welsh miners' strike, and another one is about suicide and stuff. But uh, I think it was filmed in Studio X and Studio Bethel in Seattle, Washington. And then you've got producer Terry Date. I think that's the not so much the Americanization of of the band, but the American influence is is very 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 much in place on ours. So. Interesting, you bring up America again as uh, actually leads me to a, a good question to ask. So, so Ped, you're obviously based in Scotland. You're probably just around the corner from where I am at the moment. Um, but your band Frontier, not a traditional band set up in the in the sense. For anyone who's not heard Frontier before, I don't know how how I best describe. Could you give us some very quick sort of spiel on how you guys are set up as a band? Chad, our vocalist, lives uh, and is from America. He lives in Missouri. The rest of us all live in Scotland and are dispersed between Edinburgh, Livingston and um, Inverurie. So it's a wee bit of a mix. And our bass player used to live in Portugal and Spain for a while as well. So you had quite a bit of a weird triangle going on between the, the five of us. So yeah. Honestly, the biggest surprise there for me was Inverudi. <laughs> yeah, so Dan, um, Dan's other guitar player in uh, in Frontier, he lives up that way. He's a, a a college lecturer, so he moved up. He used to live in Glasgow. He moved up to Ab- Aberdeen, sort of way, and um, yeah, he's, he's he's really big for nature and the outdoors and stuff. So it was like I think perfect perfect move for him, both in terms of job and location. And originally is know from that way anyway so it's kind of like moving back home for uh, for him so we're we're quite dispersed in terms of in terms of the band and the, the sound and stuff i guess you would just have to look and listen to it to to get it for yourself but sort of an extreme metal band extreme hardcore i don't really know like it's just fast music slow music noisy music i'll tell you what it's it's fucked me up because I was trying to prepare and listen to Funeral for a Friend for, for this episode and I've ended up listening to Frontier ju- about just as much. It's, um yeah. Fuck, Thanks man. very much. Balls out heavy. It's great. So do you feel you get a lot of American influence into Frontier based on the where, where the where the vocals are pulling from? 
Well, I mean, it's it's going to happen because we have an American vocalist in the band. Like he's the driving force. He's the like the voice of the band. Instrumentally, nah. I mean, I, I don't know what what sounds like American. I mean, I mean uh, American heavy metal. It's like pure American heavy metal. That's the Lamb of God quote, right? That's what that's what they kind of go by. It's uh, it's certainly not Lamb of God. I love early Lamb of God, but that's, that's another sidetrack. We'll go maybe go there later on. I don't think there's anything that makes it particularly like Americanized other than his voice. And even on the new album, which is coming out later this year, um, I'm doing some vocals on that myself. And I don't think I sound particularly American, but I don't think I sound particularly Scottish either. I I hate forced Scottish accents. Or forced accents in in music that just don't belong. I cannot stand it. Do you? F- I mean, we're talking about American influences. Like, do you pull in your music any influences from Scotland and like your surroundings? Like, if you're all from a a, a stretch of the country, like, do you, do you think that comes into your music at all? So, with the sectioned album um, that I did with Jamie, uh, Jamie's tattoo artist, he is also the vocalist in section but section hasn't really done much for a while in that band jamie does put on a bit of a scottish accent at times but i think it's not he's not doing it like as a a gimmick like he's just getting out whatever emotion he is through vocals and he's not pretending in any way shape or form which adds it adds to like the rawness of it versus like you know a twin atlantic record where I want to rip my ears off. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the example I could think of. Is Sam Sam McTrusty giving it giving it his big licks when he comes on stage? It's brutal. Is it is it Twin Atlantic Lab that we sort of went back to? Did they not have like an absolute ripper of an EP, and then they just went pop after that? Vivarium isn't bad. I, I'll give it. I'll say I probably gave Vivarium probably just as much time as I gave Fightstar. But they, it's. There's there's a couple of songs that the the singer Sam McTrusty is, he's brutal. The 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 over over how how do you I don't even know how to say it over Scottishification or something. It's just so such a forced accent when he's at light speed, light speed or whatever oh. he does. It's a, that's exactly. What I was like, I'm, am I John? Oh. Am I John Wayne? I don't know. I'm like, oh fuck, nah, done out. That's me done with him. When you did the light speed thing, it just reminded me. I've got I've got a friend, uh, a friend Stuart, who has a, a piss take video on YouTube somewhere where he literally rips that that song and that vocal line out. So when I was thinking Twin Atlantic, I was thinking of that thing, and then you repeated it laughing. That just that just set me off. So perfect timing. <laughs> it's a meme. It's a meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's. I don't. I don't particularly like twenty. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'll be honest. But you were talking about like how did ours feel? Uh, sorry, I'm skipping back a bit. But how did ours feel when it came out to me? I guess the answer was because of my journey. It didn't really make diddly squat difference because I was sort of picking and pulling tracks from each album and then getting used to them. But then I I had a I got a mini disc player and had ours on mini disc and walked around town listening to my mini disc with with uh with hours on it and then got really really into that album um again but conversely like the songs that i got into on this album were probably the less known ones uh like hospitality and alvarez like those are two of my favorite songs on hours and i don't think people can bat an eye to them as much as they do other the other singles and stuff that they released 
I think we were talking about the um, the consistency of the album as well. I think all the rage, streetcar, and roses for the dead. You know, if they'd if they'd done an EP with those three songs, it'd probably be the best EP ever made. That is such a strong, just big swing and a hit. You know, opener to the album that even so much so I was listening to the album earlier, and the way that Roses for the Dead ends with, and that song is amazing. Like it's it's, it's understandable why it's so well received and so well loved, and why yeah. my friend probably heckled the band for it. But it just ends on the din din din, and then and then and then the, the sort of hospitality starts, and hospitality is a far more reserved, chilled song compared to the ups and downs of 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 all the rage to, to streetcar and stuff like that. So and then you yeah, and then it, I, it like all pitters through the history. There's like the nice slow one, and then recovery, and the end of nothing, which is probably the heaviest song on the album, just all rips it right back up. And Alvarez oh, it makes me cry. It almost makes me cry every time I hear it. It's such an emotional train wreck of a song for me. So good. I could maybe leave Sunny if I'm if I had if I had to make a criticism of the album. I could maybe leave Sunny. That's not to say it is a criticism of the album because the the piece as a whole is great. But yeah, could 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 take or leave it. To be fair, Sunny is a Rose's version of Novella, and that's like basically I I used to even get the two confused all the time about which one was on which album just because they felt kind of the same in terms of purpose now i'm not saying sonny's bad but it's just not as good as some of the other the other tracks on there no agreed and like you you, you said it there as well love the, the end of nothing is an absolute banger of a track like yeah totally yeah it's actually kind of surprised when you were talking there earlier laugh about you know getting to hours and then wishing it was kind of heavier i think the end of no- nothing does kind of come from that sort of earlier era one track that we didn't mention from earlier in the the discography was uh 10 scene points to the winner that's that's like one of their heaviest like songs as well i don't know if you remember that that that's one of the heaviest oh my word that was that would never got that was um that was on a single it wasn't ever put to an ep unfortunately um but i remember 10 was that a b-side it's a b-side on I want to remember Escape Artists Never Die. I'd have to look it up to know, to be honest. I'm going to have to look that up now. I'm going to have to look that up. I, I, I have missed that song because it's... Doing this research, I discovered that Seven Wasteless Community is not on Spotify. The version that someone's made a playlist, but it's just a playlist of Between Order and Model that's been sort of shuffled about and it doesn't sound right because the recordings that are on Seven Wasteless Community are actually pretty well done like fixes but yeah there's i haven't heard 10 point 10 scene points to the winner in such a long time and it's such a good track title as well absolutely love it yeah i don't even think i know the name to be fair like i mean maybe if i heard it i would know it but it's not ringing any bells for me i need to find what it was on now that's gonna do me it, it was kind of like this year's most open heartbreak in a way in the sense that when bands like you know when your when your odd local band would come up um around that sort of time influenced by that music they would just do harmonies everywhere and like you know this year's most open heartbreak and 10 scene points to the winner both of the both the songs kind of start with this uh this interesting like harmony going on 10 scene points for sure and they get kind of you know it influenced a lot of the later 
early deathcore kind of stuff that was coming about, like when Bring Me the Horizon and stuff came in and they were doing all these sort of minor uh minor harmonies on guitar right. i feel i feel like something happened there with like within like metal early metalcore early deathcore um that was indirectly influenced by by using the guitar harmonies in that sort of way personally i was i was just remembering as well the um there's a video on their youtube and and matt and da- you know with the release of um your history is mine matt and darren are going through some of the songs and and referring to this year's most open heartbreak that was like the first song Darren came in to write on and that's his riff he just you know they sort of had the bones of the song there and they're just like right what have you got for this and he just started that opening riff and I think that that's what what Faf are really known for it really is is those sort of melodies but I was never too sure you know it was I don't think it was ever particularly clear or, or, or straightforward as who was leading who was rhythm and I think the guy sort of chopped and changed a lot through through who, who carried those infamous faff mel- melodies through 10 scene points to the winner was on the escape artist never die single but there was another song on there again just brought my memory back you want romance yes absolute tune like why is that not on casually dressed like think about the tracks that we talked about here right even fucking 1045 Amsterdam conversations, The Art of American Football, 10 scene points to the winner, this year's most open heartbreak, You Want Romance. Like, there are, there, there's an EP, there's an incredible EP of like, I've just kind of, yeah, six songs. Just, oh, totally, totally nailed that there. I completely forgot about that. Here's your homework. Here's your homework, Ped. You're now, you've now got a, a foot in the door with Avocado. You could you're you're two emails away from Matt's desk. Make it happen. <laughs> let's get let's get an EP together of all these B sides. Get them on Spotify at a bare minimum. Get them on Spotify, please. Put them on Spotify. I just want to hear it again. No pressure, Ped. But if you could just contact Matt from Funeral for a Friend and get him to pull his finger out and get some of his better material of of the early days on on Spotify, that'd be great. Thanks very much. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about Atlantic Records. I know they can be a little bit tricky. <laughs> I haven't even I haven't even spoken to him. It's just like it's it's weird. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I could make that request. I think that would uh, be a bit insulting in fact this podcast probably if you heard it might be a bit insulting tell them that the track order needs to change you're gonna say that i I just had an existential crisis if he ever listens to this episode i will shit my pants (laughs) just one for the back pocket keep it for the i'll send it to martin and then uh see if martin passes on I hope, it, I hope it comes. I hope it comes. <laughs> comes. I hope positive things come of this. Um, you, you, you don't want me to see you see me shit my pants though. That'll be that'll be ridiculous. Anyway, that was enough fan bonding. Fan yeah. bonding. What were you going to say, Lance? No. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, we've we've gone over there the, the tracks. I, I just had to recall because I've got the the Escape Artist Never Die CD track list. You want romance? Even had a video apparently. Never seen that. I'm gonna have to uh, gonna have to dig that one out at the end of this and have a have a reminisce. But sorry, I'd, I'd cut you off. Sorry, Ped, I, I don't know where we were at there. No, we were just talking. I mean, it, it started a new new branch of uh, Funeral for a Friend conversation, but like, you know, even reminded me that 1045 Amsterdam conversations, that's one of the songs that gets absolutely everybody jumping whenever they played it. And I remember watching when they brought out their live DVD. I think it was at, was it Brixton Academy? I think they did a live DVD. They play it on that. They certainly have couple of live albums um but like there's yeah, it's just so, sorry go ahead Keith. there's there's a live uh, at islington 
Is on... LinkedIn? That's the one. Sorry, my bad. And, yeah, on uh, I'm just looking at Spotify, and that came up. Yeah, there's a there's a DVD as well, which was which was awesome. I remember bought it from HMV and was like so stoked to watch it around that time. Even though like obviously seeing them live and stuff, it was just uh, the sound even on that live DVD stuck with me as well. Because like there were, it was weird around that time as well, like playing guitar and stuff. I didn't really understand what was going on in songs at times. Like there's, there were certain bands like Slayer, for example, I'm going on a complete tangent here, but there's bands like Slayer where when I heard the kick drum uh, off, off tracks like Warzone, I would think that was a guitar. I was like, how are they getting so much sub bass out of their guitar when they're doing like these like mental bits? And there was a bit of an adjustment process uh, as a guitarist trying to understand how riffs and stuff were, were kind of built up. And going back to my original point with 1045 Amsterdam Conversations, when I heard that track on the EP, there were some bits when I tried to learn that song that didn't make sense. And when I saw the live DVD and saw them playing it live when I bought it, I was like, oh, that's how it's meant to sound. Like, that's how that's meant to be played. Um, so, yeah, sorry, there, I arrived at my point. No, I like I, I similarly. I mean, I'm 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 not a guitarist. I've I've in recent years I've attempted to play bass. Same with Streetcar. Just like the tapping on Streetcar, just when you heard it, because I don't think they really did a lot of that. It's it, certainly not before, and maybe sort of brought it back a couple of times after. But like, it just blew my mind that that that, that was there. And as I understand it, it's a relatively simple part to play. Yeah, it. I mean, it, it is, but it it sounds. You know, at that time, particularly, particularly, it sounded just like insane. Or like, whoa, he's like, you know, he's doing, he's doing some weird sort of shreddy thing, but it's like musical and it sounds so cool and it works really well with the song. And I remember trying to learn that as well around that time. Uh, it's, I think that was probably one of the riffs that got me into, to, to tapping or at least learning how to tap. And then Dragon that. Force came out and everyone was just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I exactly. really like. If we're talking about streetcar, I really love the galloping. It's got this forward yeah. motion in it, which just, I can't, I just love it. I, I'm, it just sounds, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard that sort of sound done in such a really accessible way. It's usually in some, like you mentioned, like some brutal death death metal band that do this sort of sound. But Funeral for a Friend managed to take that, idea of, of this dun, 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 and make it really fun and you know a really nice sort of sound to hear i think i get the impression that was their tribute to iron maiden and most people maybe don't think about that until you think about it now but the galloping sort of sound i think that was them like paying tribute to maiden that ped spot on going back to that video i watched on their youtube channel uh, darren literally refers to that as a bit of a, an homage to to iron maiden and and i think they were all fans like uh, despite not being in a in a, in a heavy metal band they, you know that the, they obviously appreciated maiden and and that was that going back to to, to hours again and, and just this, those first three songs like all the rage it became my like scream name it became my like logon name it became like my sort of online persona so much so that when i was a sort of fledgling web designer i started like all the rage design like that if you know for a friend impacted me so much that and that one song i think i i think that gig at barrowlands matt gave some sort of explanation as to you know sort of the songs about the good guys that finish last 
Um, like just fuck it don't be that guy like go out and do your thing and I'm like fuck yeah I'm gonna go out and do my thing like all the rage for me it still sort of stands as like my Instagram name and stuff like that like that's that all stems from funeral for a friend mine was um, sixth hold my finger that was my I use that for all my logins my PSN ID is hold my finger I used it for a good 15 years before growing out of it um and I think it was talking to. It's when I was like filling it out on a, um, on like a when you assign when you assign it to a mailing list at a show, and someone would like read your email address, and it's just like hold my finger. Where'd you get that from? And it's sort of you end up making these songs like all the rage. I I am instantly associate all the rage with Keith. It's like I just cool. associate these little things just with people because of the sort of I don't know the the. the they just that is them. You are all the rage, Keith. All the rage. Did you ever make? Did you ever make the link that it was funeral for a friend? Oh, oh, instantly. Immediately, there was, it worked. Then. It was <laughs> go, go me. <laughs> there was no question about it. You were you were Keith, the funeral for a friend guy. Thanks for this. I'll take that. Do we want to? Uh, do we want to consider tales don't tell themselves? You know what? It, when it first came out, I am. I dropped funeral for a friend. There's no, I've got no shame in saying that because I know a lot of other people did as well. And it was such a sonically different album, uh, totally different sound. And it wasn't one that, again, I mean, if you think, I went going back to earlier when it went from casually out, casually dressed into hours, I felt that was a, a shift that wasn't as heavy as I would have liked it to have been. But then I grew into it. Tales Don't Sell Themselves was just this, almost indie pop feel about it that I just couldn't escape um in retrospect you know gift of hindsight we're talking what did that come out in 2007 ish 14th of May 2007 bang on uh you know 13 years later I would probably listen to that over memory and humanity so interesting, right? There's a, there's a couple of things I'm gonna, I was gonna pick up on there. Uh, I think Tales Don't Tell Themselves was Funeral for a Friend becoming a bunch of old dads on record a lot earlier in the career. <laughs> I think I, I, that's genuinely that was my thought at the age of uh, like 17, 18, and that's still my thought now. I think they tapped into a lot of their other musical influences that weren't made in. And they made their version of what I would, you know, think was like dad rock for for them, which is fine. But I it it made me drop drop off as well, and I couldn't get into it. Into Oblivion was a single, but there was no fun for me. Like it it just didn't have like any fun or like spark. A lot of the songs felt, you know, not necessarily uniquely identifiable, and I just lost interest. But then you know, talking about memory and humanity pretty sure the cover for that even looks like something close to the casually dressed cover like i think the band acknowledged at that point i think even it came out even like posts and, and stuff in press that they were i'm paraphrasing here but it was about going back to the old sound um i could be talking crap on memory and humanity but it was definitely i think it was that record is it not got like a twin helix on the cover or something? Yeah, sure no, you're, you're 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 totally right. It's got like a little boy, sort of with yeah. his back to to the camera, and then like you say, that sort of twin helix growing out of the ground and, and into the clouds. 
Yeah, so I think I'm pretty sure there were there were points where the band alluded to the fact they were going they were going back to like old funeral for a friend in terms of style, and then trying to pick up more fans from that. And I, I think unfortunately, from what I did listen to, it never really had that same same spark that they had left on the back of ours for me personally yeah it's i think it's what i sort of was alluding to the conversation at at the very beginning i personally enjoy tales don't tell themselves i recognize it is a, a a tonal shift that it is a different sounding album but I enjoy it for for what it is. I, I truly enjoy it. Um, Matt was saying on on the the review from from your or your um your history is mine that he essentially initially thought of the album as one song. It was like a sort of 40, 30, 40 minute single song about a fisherman, and the band sort of had to bring him down off of that idea and 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 break it all up and actually turn it into an album. I remember thinking at the time, like, oh yeah, this is a bit, this is a bit flat. Like, there's kind of not a lot of those sort of, like you're saying, Ped, maybe those more enjoyable moments in it. I think if you go back and listen to it now, I don't know if anyone has. It's it stands as a good piece, like, and and I enjoy it for what it is. I think it, I think it does. If if you're seeking to get out of funeral for a friend, what like others who basically got into them. Uh, in the first place like didn't like I think it's it's a good album for a certain audience but I think it's quite different to what their core audience got into and some people like embraced that and, and, and really enjoyed it and then I think it divided opinions from others and uh, you know going back to the, the title and the theme of the record with the, the sailing and shipping I recall that Matt said somewhere that he had a, a fear of open water like it's a, like a genuine fear. I think it's got like thalassophobia or something like that. But I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I read somewhere at the time that he had like a fear of open water, and I don't know if that was linked to the theme of the the record or not. Yeah, I've 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 got the concept here of of, of what he said in an article. Uh, I won't go through the whole thing, but to sum it all up, the TLDR is basically Castaway meets the perfect storm. It has a lot to do with my personal fears of the ocean and coming to terms with that through the story. So long story short, it's it's a fisherman, he's got a family at home, he goes out to sea, he, his boat is wrecked, he's stranded, he starts to get delirious in the sea, he becomes shipwrecked, but the drive to sort of find his way home and back to his family is sort of the, the, the story of the album. And I think I enjoyed that at the time, I, th- I think I got what they were trying to do, admittedly knowing it was different and maybe missing some of the older stuff, but... Yeah, I still liked what what it did. Maybe you'll all be surprised to know it charted at number three in the UK. Yeah, I mean it's one of those records that was probably, you know, it maybe created in some ways to elevate their their career and become a bit more accessible. So I think it backfired though under those circumstances. I I think they might have lost a lot of their core fan base at that point, or we've sort of said they did lose a lot of their core fan base at that point. I'm just thinking, like at that time, at that time we were still. I mean, to this day, I still explore new music and, and like to hear new new things all the time. In two thousand seven, I mean, I was my journey was just getting heavier and heavier at this point. So two thousand seven, that would have been around the time that I've probably gotten heavily into 
bands like Comeback Kid and Parkway Drive, um, I Killed the Prom Queen, Eternal Lord. So my tastes had gone completely in the polar opposite direction to Tales Don't Tell Themselves. I wanted heavier, I wanted brutal, I wanted breakdowns, I wanted it to be filthy, dirty, you know, hardcore stuff. And Tales Don't Tell Themselves was this... (laughs) I stared to oblivion. I'm like, that is not what I was. I'm, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I wanted. Um, and I and I totally dismissed it. I was like, nah, not not even going to touch that. Going to walk away from that right now and, and come back another time. You're going to walk away, are you? Single second uh, single off of the it album. It was the was sweetest wave I could make, if I'm being honest. Um, oh my god, I'm trying. I'm trying here. Um, it was yeah. So it just from for my taste, my personal taste, it was it was the wrong. Just the just the wrong sound, and and I had to step away and step back from it. Um, it, it wasn't until I suppose I heard "Memory and Humanity." There is a good song on that. Um, the the water waterfront club. Waterfall dance. Waterfront, waterfront, waterfront club, dance club. Yeah, I thought that was a that was quite a good a wee catchy number, and it was it was around then again. My my tastes were totally all up in the air by then and I guess I'd, I'd just stepped back enough from Funeral for a Friend that I thought no I'll, I'll, I'd moved on to other things by that stage Did uh, did either of you have quite eclectic tastes I'm, I'm guessing not by the sounds of it from Lav but like did you have quite mixed tastes when you were around that sort of age maybe just a bit younger like I, I personally so the only the weird way I got into music was through now that's what I call music CDs and like that <laughs> made me discover what records I like like I, I loved like it was like Teenage Dirtbag, Wheatus, Nickelback, uh, No Shame and like even Daniel Bedingfield for a while like gotta get through this was like an absolute tune I had this weird journey so I, I definitely had an appreciation for like different styles of music but when I was learning guitar and I was listening to Funeral for Friends and stuff I think I did have a bit of a mix, but it was probably mostly metal that I listened to around that time. What about you guys? I had gone through some... I, I would say my, my, my tastes were quite eclectic, but not in a pop pop sense. I, I, I too had the Now now albums. My first ever album I owned was Now 29 on tape. But by the time the 2000s rolled around, I was listening to everything from well, 2000, 2002, Two by this point, I would be listening to Funeral for a Friend. Aphex Twin was quite on a, a heavy rotation for myself. Um, a lot of my friends were into Square Pusher. They, 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 his first album, Big Loader, had some uh, interesting sort of sound profiles on it, and and it ended up being that when I listened to to heavy music, it just had to get heavier and heavier, and and that's when I started discovering hardcore. And when I moved up to Edinburgh. One of the first things that I discovered, I, I was from a very small sort of town area in, in, in the middle of fucking nowhere as far as anyone's concerned, even to today. So Sounds like Wales. Pretty much, not far off, you know, hills. You Again, what, what was it, the quote that, uh, uh, was it Chris said, you know, you either got into music, drugs, or... Or sport, sport, and rugby, football, whatever. And I was, and I ended up choosing music, so that that was how I ended up discovering. But everything was like third hand by the point. By the time we got it, it was, it was long gone. 
I feel like Wales is taking a bit of a beating here for any fans listening because our drummer <laughs> is like Welsh as well. He's he's half Welsh, but uh, yeah, like disclaimer, like we're not we're not beating the shit of Wales. Wales is a fantastic place. Not at with all. A lot of rich musical heritage. So, just, I uh, uh, yeah, I went to Wales once to play a gig. When you said the name Johnny Truant, I had a flashback. I think I played Johnny Truant's farewell show in Pontypridd. Wow in Wales this was a long time ago when I was still in a band and I was playing in an Edinburgh band called Hitcher and Porterfield the singer he was the guy in the know for gigs and bookings and stuff like that so I think he got us the show and we went oh no it's the death of our money the death of our money are an amazing Welsh band and we sort of did some uh, gigs with them in Edinburgh and they sort of got us the show so we drove Edinburgh to Wales to to just to play one show. Like, we didn't make a weekend of it. We didn't tour on it. We didn't add any more shows. We we did the 10-hour drive to do one show. And, like, I'm you know, I'm trying not to shit on Wales here. It's the best gig I've ever played in my life. Like, it was the most rock and roll I've ever been, where we just, like, poured out of this bus, played this church of, like, 600 people for this Johnny Truant show. Like, it's fucking amazing. And I met Darren Smith again and just shat myself. And I was just like... I really like your pad. Thanks very much. Bye. Like so, if if anyone from Wales ever listens to this and think we've been a bit hard on Wales, Wales holds a very special place for me musically because it's the best gig I've ever played. What was your first gigs? Oh, my first gig was Studio Twitch Four in Edinburgh. Um, my first what? Oh, that's a big question. Oh, who who I saw or who I played with? So I'm talking about first gig that you. Let's just say the first ever gig that you went to, whether or not you played it. If if that if your first experience of a gig was one that you played rather than watched, then we'll go with that. <laughs> no, okay. So the the first gig I ever saw was two thousand and one, Papa Roach at the Barrowlands. First gig I went to on my own, for I don't know the first my first ever show live show that I was went to was Def Leppard in nineteen ninety seven, but the first show I ever went to on my own got the bus sent to the city bright lights got pissed all that nonsense when i was 15 was green day nice well i'm gonna absolutely uh, shit on that with uh go for it diana diana ross first ever <laughs> concert dragged dragged to that wow. dragged to that with uh with my lovely mother uh that was the first gig and then from there it went to system of a down <laughs> at the SECC, so wow. How did those experiences differ? How, <laughs> how did you find the Diana Ross crowd and the System of a Down crowd? M- massively different. Uh, I mean, I was <laughs> sitting down, sitting down for Diana Ross up in the uh, up in the gallery, but and I uh, was with various various uh, family members, and then System of a Down was like you know same experience. Lava saying first one, kind of on your own through in Glasgow with some friends from from school at the time, and uh, it was just wild. Yeah, good times. So, where were we? We were on Tales Don't Tell Themselves. Generally, the the opinion is is the sort of same. It's where a lot of people fell off of them. Did did anyone sort of pick up their albums after that? We've mentioned Memory and Humanity. Things start to change for the band after Memory and Humanity. That's when the one of the first members sort of leaves. And I think, I don't want to call it a a like the the road to the end or, or, or you know a downward spiral thereafter but i think that's where he's, the lineup changes three members are gonna leave between now and the the, the first breakup 
I think it's important to mention in the in the history of Funeral for a Friend here that Your History is Mine, the the greatest hits album that came out after Memory and Humanity. That, as far as I can recall, I'm just seeing if I've got a quote for it, I don't have one, was not released with the band's knowledge. It was all pulled together by Atlantic, thrown together, one big three-disc best of, and put out as a sort of final album on their album deal, and then they were kicked off Atlantic. That's how I recall it. I don't know if anyone has any any knowledge of, of what went on around that. I don't I don't really know what went on behind the scenes like business wise for them, but I'm pretty sure if I remember maybe not long after hours, I think their original bass player, I think his name was Gareth. Probably Gareth Davis, maybe? No. Gareth. I'm sure his name was Gareth, first name was Gareth. He had left. That was the first member to change in the lineup that I recall, but I don't know at what point in the chronology that that. So happened. I've I've recorded that actually. It's it's am I random note taking? That's what I actually I actually because I to me the departure of the original members is important to the shift in music. So the departures being yep you're right Gareth Davis uh, original bass player left in September two thousand and eight. He actually lasted longer than I thought he did. I thought he went after Tales Don't Tell and Tell Themselves. He was on Memory and Humanity. He recorded that fourth album with them uh, and left shortly after. That then brought in uh, another Welsh musician, uh, Gavin uh, Burrow, who had previously been in Hondel McLean. So that was September 2008. Darren Smith then leaves April 2010, where Gavin moves on to guitar and they bring in Richard Butcher, original bass player for Hondel McLean, in on bass. So they had two members. Oh, right, they had two. I only thought, oh, I didn't realise it was one, two guys from Hondel McLean. I thought it was just the one. Yeah, Gavin and Rich were, were, were both Hondel McLean. And obviously there's that Welsh connection there and, and, and how they knew each other. And then finally, Ryan leaves May 2012. So you've got 2008, 2010 and 2012 and sort of three founding members leave Darren a very recognisable guitarist and I've learned sort of through the videos and stuff like that Ryan was a big contributor to their music like he did a lot of songs on keyboard and brought it to the band and stuff and prepared a lot of a lot of the music for it Ryan was replaced by um, Rise to Remain drummer Pat Lundy so the only reason I know Rise to Remain is is it the singer is the son of Bruce Dickinson yeah, it's probably the only reason anyone knows that band. <laughs> but we've we've mentioned Iron Maiden That's about three or four times throughout this, so it's just like that whole little little dots connecting themselves here. That that absolutely was some shade. I don't even really know the band to be fair. Yeah. So Pat so there's your lineup. You've got two original members in the singer and, and Chris the guitarist and Matt Matt the singer. Uh they then record Conduit and Chapter and Verse, and that's when the they, they tap out in 2016 you mentioned to me this morning about welcome home armageddon and i put it on for the first time in what could have been since basically the week it was released and i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot more than i remember uh i would i think welcome home armageddon's great i think it's great like, great it's so good end. it's great it's um 
yeah, that's that's sort of the the new lineup with is it uh, Rich and Gavin that are on it. They're, that's their first album they write to. Gavin actually on bass wrote the four songs that are on Your History Is Mine. So your Your History Is Mine is sort of their their greatest hits with four new songs on it, which I think are all pretty good songs as well. They released a single wrench off of that. But it's also got Captains of Industry, which has got a really good outro, and it's got the the back and forth because Gavin took on a lot more backing vocals and stuff. But yeah, they did an EP. This is Hell. No, no, no. It's a it's a very reckon. I think young the young and defenseless. That's a, a lyric, is it not from Welcome Home Armageddon? One of the songs. Isn't that a song? Young is it the song or is it, I thought it was just a lyric. Anyway, they did, sorry, they did the, the EP See You in Hell, uh, which has High Castles on it, and then they went into Welcome Home Armageddon. And yeah, I, I agree. I think Welcome Home Armageddon is a great album. Did you listen to it, Ped? I didn't even know that that was an album, because I, I remember seeing bits of press with like Conduit and maybe Chapter and Verse, and obviously Memory and Humanity, but I don't remember, I don't even know existed, knew existed until now, so... There you go, that tells you how much I dropped off. Fuck, if you've got the time, definitely go back and, and listen to it. But we're, I think we were talking about singles as well and, and stuff they, they released and didn't release. In between Welcome Home Armageddon and, and See You in Hell, there's a video online and it's called uh, a song called Serpents. Anyone ever heard Serpents? No. On your own? Well, shit, that'll kill this conversation. <laughs> but go check out Serpents, because it fucking slaps it is a great great song I, I i don't know why that didn't make it onto uh, an album or or a wider release it just seems to be a one-off video the in the video like it's a performance piece but the band are dead and they're um weekend at bernie's it they're trying to like you know there's these guys in sort of black morph suits trying to animate the dead band but go check out serpents on youtube it, it, it it's a really great song one thing which one was the album that they self-funded was that Welcome Home Armageddon, or was it the EP before it? I think their last three albums were, were self-funded. The Welcome Home Armageddon definitely had a crowdfund, because I contributed to it, as I did Conduit. I think I've got Conduit on a tape. That was that was my level of, of crowdfund that I went in on. I got the tape version as well as the CD. And I can't can't remember if, I, if there was for chapter and verse, or did I contribute to that, or whatever. But... Yeah, they, they basically crowdfunded everything after Welcome Home Armageddon. Yeah, so again, just kind of, I know something that so something that uh, the Frontier guys are going to be doing, they've got a documentary that's coming out, is that right? Yeah, so um, two days' time, Saturday, uh, Banger TV are releasing it. Brilliant. And in that documentary, which you've kindly let us have a, a sneak preview of, there's a, a part in there about you guys being sort of self-funded and turning down certain um, approaches from, from record deals. Is that is that anything you can elaborate on at all for, for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I guess to give any listeners a bit of context again, so we had a tour in 2019 before all of this COVID shit. And we decided that we would bring out, uh, I decided that we would bring out Brad uh, Zordrager, who works for Banger TV and Exclaim uh, in Canada. And he'd given us some nice uh, nice reviews, listened to the record, really gelled with it. And I just thought, 
fuck it, this would be a really cool project. Why doesn't he just come over and like film it and we'll get to hang and meet IRL and you know, like why not? Like my band has been built on like an online platform, it just made sense. So he came out, filmed the documentary over the course of, you know, almost three weeks and uh yeah, it was it was a really, really good experience. It was great working with him. He did everything like himself, you know, like we brought him over and stuff, but he, he did all like most of the editing, a couple of, uh, a couple of people helped out with some of the graphics and stuff in the doc to, to piece it together. But the bulk of the work was just him looking through hours of footage and, and cutting it together. So that's coming out on Saturday through their YouTube channel and it will be on all our social media links as well. But yeah, this just asks your, uh, your particular question there live can you just repeat that i just want to make sure that i'm i'm answering it on top of giving some background it's just in in the documentary you uh, it's mentioned about um being approached by record labels can't remember who's having the conversation but it's just like what how how do how are frontier are sort of feeling about the future are they going to yeah you mentioned there earlier you've now got a booking agent which is um, you know going to help out you guys a, a ton for getting shows but is there any any more movement in the area of going towards uh having having some kind of sign or do you want to stick to this sort of band camp diy ethic that you've you've built yourselves upon so far yeah i think brad mentions it towards the end of the documentary about the the label interest the external interest that the band has but I don't know. Is the, is the honestly the <clears throat> the simple answer? It's 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 very much based on like context in terms of what is offered. It's not ever been like an outright no without consideration whether or not we would work with a label or whatnot. But what we did do very early on was just not sign up to things willy nilly because we were at the early stages of being a band. So it was very much like how balancing what can we manage ourselves and do on our own and then going through that process seeing that there are obvious challenges with like shipping merch internationally you know distributing things in certain ways and then doing like booking shows on top of all that then managing like a full-time job members all over the place girlfriends all that sort of shit like it it just becomes yeah yeah exactly so as times went on we've just tried to balance the goals that we had to like scale and get our music out as well as our lifestyle choices, our careers and, and balance all of that. So with that said, you know, one of the reasons we brought on, you know, our pitch to Martin to bring him on was the booking side of things. We, as we touch upon like the documentary, like we've done that ourselves. It's been as good as we could have ever hoped that it would be because the shows that we were playing all over Europe and stuff were selling incredibly well in some cases sold out and we did that ourselves and we, we promoted you know we promoted it ourselves and that was just like okay awesome we did that but we wanted to do some support tours we'd headlined most of the tours that we did we wanted to do some support tours so that we could perform to audiences of you know bigger bands than us who play slightly different styles of music and, and net more people you you were saying in the documentary i think it was that last tour 19 shows yeah so we did did 19 no rest days uh, which is why in that documentary i bang on about it being a megathon uh but it was yeah it was, it was 19 shows in a row no breaks um, how long did it take to, to to book 19 shows between yourself across how how many 
cities, was it? Well, sorry, it's 19 cities, but how many countries, sorry? Oh, I think it was like 10 countries or something like that. I don't know the exact figures, but it was 10, 13 countries, maybe even more. How did we go about doing it? Was that what you were, you were wondering? Just the sort of timescale. Like you're, you're talking about, like, you know, you, you've you've maintained this balance of what you wanted to achieve with the band and, and your, 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 your sort of lifestyles and stuff like that. What's the preparation involved for booking 19 shows yourself? Um, well, we kind of, unfortunately, we sometimes do things quite reactively and quite late. So I think all in all, we got stuff booked within two to three months, which, you know, by a booking agent standards, if they're ready to go, like that's long. Some booking agents can book tours in a few days or a week. That was a combination of me and Dan working together. Like Dan was a band manager and a booking agent for a while he worked in bookings so he had like a network of people he could contact and then i had access to our social media where we'd had people asking us to come to brazil <laughs> amongst other places nice. and uh and uh, play thailand play thailand of... <laughs> yeah yeah uh be there tomorrow no so we just put our heads together and and took the interest that we got from outside from people and sometimes those people were folk running festivals sometimes they were just fans who wanted to see us play like a a a basement show and then you know his his network of various bands that he'd worked with or various bookers that he'd worked with from various band experiences and then that was why we got this sort of mishmash uh, that we managed to do over two three months um balancing you know various other other bits and bobs so it it was like even now it's like it's doable we could do that if we wanted to but ultimately like Martin does an impeccable job. He's constant communication. He, you know, we don't need to ask him to do things like he just does it. And, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've not paid him a penny yet. Cause we've not played a show, but he's done so much behind the scenes for what we've got planned post album release that, um, you know, we I feel like we owe him tons cause he's done such a good job. That's awesome. That's great to hear. You, you sort of, hear some sort of horror stories about you know back in the day when you were you know pay to play and, and sort of stuff like that and promoters who would just like sort of take the ticket money and do a run and and the show was either shit or didn't go ahead or whatever so like to hear that you know sort of your promoters putting in that effort is i mean i'm saying like it's great like as if i have a goddamn clue what it is to be a promoter or whatever but like it's just reassuring that like there's that that support's there and, and you guys are getting the benefit from it yeah You've mentioned that you've got a new album coming out later this year. Anything you can reveal? Yeah, it's coming out. Well, it was intended to come out on the 30th of September, but it may come out on the 1st of October now because we've we've also got uh, Bryce from Blood Blast. Um, Blood Blast is Nuclear Blast Records digital distribution uh, service Bryce has been working with us or is working with us on this new album to help with the digital distro so we've been toying about with the release dates but that's an aside yeah so 30th September 1st of October it's uh, absolutely by far and away my favorite record that we have uh, if you've heard our first album I personally believe it's better than our first album and like I'm the kind of person that I will happily admit if my music has gone to shit but i don't think i'd get that far because i just stopped writing so i'd say it's definitely our our best album it's our heaviest by far and yet somehow our most diverse so i'm really looking forward to it coming out and the first single should be out in august so 
yeah, watch this space, etc. Sick. Looking forward to really that. Really looking forward to it. Can't wait. It's called um, it's called Oxidized. In case you were wanting to know, it's uh, oh, the name of the new album. Oxidized. There we go. Heard it here. Thanks. Brilliant. I'm really. Can, can you can you appreciate the fact you're our first guest and we probably don't know what we're doing here? But Oxidized. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, you're all good. I I think it's like we've we've sort of made it indirectly public knowledge. We haven't done some sort of big elaborate social spiel about it, but we we um one of the tracks got played on kerrang uh, a few months ago and we did like a little announcement on that and i think whoever tuned in at the time heard about it but we've not done like a this is when our album's coming out post yet so anyone tuning in will probably be hearing it for the first time sweet hopefully no spoilers for the the documentary although we've just we've just been talking about it so this this episode <laughs> will probably come out after the documentary comes out so i was hoping that that'll be all good Thanks, Lav. You're you're always correcting me on that. We're a week behind on on releases, so I'm 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 never. It still blows. It still fucks me up that we we do that. Well, I think we've basically we have explored funeral for a friend, haven't we? From start to finish. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, we we set this up as a casually dressed, and in our own deep conversation, we have uh, <laughs> we have undressed their entire discography, or at least what I what I. Uh, know of it but it's good you know i don't think it was going to be hard for me to just focus on that one album uh for the, for the whole period so i'm glad we've kind of went through the cycle of the band how in, in wrapping up then live you and i were certainly sort of touched on this before the band split in 2016 they did a tour uh, a two-day sort of tour for first for a certain amount of cities as a sort of farewell fail, farewell tour and now they're kind of back already. I understand the circumstances of which they were going to do reunion shows. I think a, a fan of, of theirs or, or someone previously involved with the band who ever had shown them sort of a lot of support in, in previous years had became quite quite ill. They wanted to do a crowdfund. That was honourable. That was that was really nice. Like yeah. A really, really honourable touch. But in general, not, not going to tar them entirely, but I dislike bands doing farewell tours. I've think it's a cash grab if you're gonna break up just fucking break up don't don't tease me and then coming back like i think i mean i tried i named i I could name three that come to mind that do it so the refused famously coming back after vehemently really denying that they'll never ever get back together and then got back together and made more albums and they're all average um alexis on fire they did their farewell tours and then they came back they did some live shows. I think they released like one song, but don't really know what's going on with them. And now Funeral for a Friend, they've they've clearly those that live show that they did for the friend has clearly rekindled something for them, which I can respect, I suppose, but I don't particularly like the farewell tour idea. What about yourself, Ped? How do you feel about Faf coming back? I got tickets. <laughs> 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 I got, I got ticket. Nah, I am. So yeah, like during the during COVID, I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll hopefully I've cleared up by like April of twenty twenty one. Um, so I got tickets for the return show, but I also had li- missed the last one that they did when they played in Glasgow. Um, around the time of you know the period where their, you know their 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 fan um or close connection had 
it was made ill or had, had passed away so um, I'd missed out on that opportunity so I was like well I'm going to go see them again but my opinions on farewell tours and stuff yeah I'm basically basically the same I think I'm okay with it as long as you don't come back. Like for me, like I, I went to the, the Dillinger Escape Plan, like the, the sort of end tour that they did and uh, saw them at QMU in Glasgow. And I don't think they have any intentions to come back uh, as far as I'm aware. But, you know, if they did come back, then I'd be like, oh, no, you know, why, why do this? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I can maybe, I maybe kind of halfway between Lav and, where I am myself, sort of a bit indifferent, but as long as they follow through and don't actually come back, but most seem to, so sucks. Did you did you see the farewell tour at all? The farewell tour for Faf. No, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that, uh, or I didn't yeah. go to that, didn't attend it. But is this is is this another new farewell? This isn't the tour that's coming back. Is another farewell tour? Is it? No, I'm not. I'm, maybe we should have gave it a googs before we asked the question. Uh, uh, my sort of perspective of it is, I don't really have anything against farewell tours. I kind of get farewell tours. Farewell tours, to be honest. If if you have if you're a band that's been around for a few years and you've got a fan base and you're gonna essentially stop making music, then I sort of acknowledge and 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 I'm down for farewell tours. I think I've I went to the funeral for a friend farewell tour. I think the only other actual proper farewell show I did was Hell is for Heroes. They nice. did they did okay. a yeah I think their their farewell tour was at the Barfra, Barfly in Glasgow. So I don't know if uh, you guys remember oh, the Barfly, but that was a few years ago. I do remember the Barfly. I only went once, and it was to see Azrael. Um, that was the only only show I ever saw at the Barfly, and it was a great great venue. I wish I could have seen more shows there because I, I loved it. They were a chain, so I don't really know what happened to the chain, but I'm, it must have. I'm pretty sure it shut down over the UK. But yeah, for it's I don't know when I the reunion tour or sorry the the reunion shows for the fan. I get that was kind of cool, but then when they sort of announced a reformation and this reunion tour because they've actually came back with six members they've got the ryan's came back on drums so they've not gone back with pat ryan's on drums darren has came back on guitars they've still got gavin on guitars and chris so they've came back with three guitarists and rich has came back on bass so i'm a bit like well what was the point in the three and breaking up three years ago when you've almost just done a, a sort of album cycle do you know what I mean? Like you've you've just been silent for three years to come back and 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 like maybe like you said, Lav, reforming for the charity show has has rekindled a, a an inf- a, an an interest in the music. But I don't know personally. I was there at the goodbye to- tour. I took it very personally, or you know, it, I was emotionally invested in the band. They were stopping. I kind of felt like I said my goodbye at the time. I don't know if I'm just a bleeding heart at the moment, but like I sort of felt like I said my goodbye at the time. And and now they're sort of back. So I've not got tickets for the return show, but yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on it. I suppose is what. I can so do. I think this probably highlights the fact that even being in a full time band, there are still a lot of part time elements to music, and that is that you only feel music transiently at particular times in your 
career or in your mood. So, I mean, I don't blame them for wanting to come back and play shows. Because, I mean, like, if you go from touring the world to then, you know, focusing on other things, and then you're always going to get this, like, nostalgia to want to come back and do shows. And if you've got the opportunity to do it because you had an established record as a musician, like, most people are going to take that opportunity. And, yeah, okay, maybe we maybe don't like that it's... If it, if it comes across as a cash grab, we don't like that. But I think at the end of the day, most people, being fans of a band, are willing to support them with their music and come out to shows provided that the quality of what they perform or what they have to present is something that resonates with you. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times with, if I go off a band and their discography gets like really shit and I'm like, oh, I'm done with this. Like, if I know that that's what they're going to play live and they come back from a farewell tour, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to, not going to bother with that. Cause it's like, I don't want to see that. If they come back and they're playing all the old hits, like Funeral for a Friend did come back playing, you know, a- albums at a time. And I love those albums. Then I don't care. And that's another thing as well with, in, with, with, with music like that for me, or with a lot of music, the vocalist is the thing that really identifies the band in the live situation for me. So it could be anybody playing the guitar, anybody playing the drums, as long as they play the parts right, I don't care. But if the vocalist is there and it's the vocalist from the original record doing his shit, then I'm or or her shit, like I'm absolutely, you know, I'm absolutely down for that. Uh, but like different vocalists, then you get into a different world and it doesn't really work with me. So yeah, sorry. That was my biggest issue with um, when Gallows, when Frank Carter left Gallows and then they brought in Wade from Alexis on Fire. It's like, you're a different band now. You, you sound completely different. Don't, why why keep that name? Why not start a, a supergroup name? You know, change it up. Could have been something really special, but you kept the Gallows name and I'm not going to go and see you guys now. I'd only go and see you if it was going to be Frank Carter. I ended up going and seeing Frank Carter play live in pure love just to you know just because I, I that's the voice i wanted i wanted that voice i was i was just going to finish off on the the, the faff re- reunion thoughts if they released an album tomorrow i would listen to it i would a hundred percent listen to it i just i just kind of got a bit of a beam my bonnet about the tour the comeback to or i don't even know if it's called a comeback tour or what and i just felt i'm not I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to see what you guys do after. And if you're if you're back as a band, then I'm 100% in. As I am into your material up until, you know, you you finished. But if it's a tour and then you're fucking off after, well then, you know, I've already seen you like 10 times. I don't need to come back to this. I think the saddest part for me when liking a band is having to consider them as nostalgia and when I can't follow them into like today when i have to consider it as nostalgia that's like oh man it, it sucks and uh i don't know i feel like maybe i'm just becoming an old damn myself like i just kind of you know a lot of the bands that i do like have, <laughs> i've just done stuff that i'm like oh man that's ruined it for me you know like it just can't can't come can't go back from certain things like system of a down one of my favorite bands of all time and their drummer has some views i don't share and like it's not about just the views i don't share i'm just like man people are just so shit even though they're good music i'm like fuck you why are you like this um it sucks yeah yeah it starts to get difficult when i suppose with the the onset of social media and and people sort of share more values and views and opinions and you're like oh is is that what that song meant 
you know, is that what you sort of wanted us to take? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah difficult. Absolutely. Well, I think we've um, gone through quite the journey this evening, guys. Is there anything else we were wanting to, to discuss or is there anything more that we think we need to cover with Funeral for a Friend? Favourite songs, let's go. Number number one, Funeral for a Friend, favourite song. That's a shit question, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I'll go first, Escape Artists Never Die. Oh, good choice, good choice. We've already mentioned you want romance and 10 scene points to the winner and I don't think, I, th- I feel that would be cheating to say that. So I'm going to stick with um, this year's most open heartbreak. I I cannot pick, but no, you I'll, can I'll, for, for the pur- purposes of this. I will I will literally just throw the only one that's in my head right now, and that's ten forty five Amsterdam conversations. So I'm gonna stick with that. But genuinely, can't pick a favorite. I hate picking favorites, but I'll I'll go with ten forty five for this. And no one did anything after hours, so that's or no one did anything after casually dressed. To me, it's it's nostalgia. I think nostalgia is such a, a, a it's very potent. It's a, it's a currency you can, and that is worth so much more. I don't have any nostalgia from anything from Tales Don't Tell Themselves onwards. Really, I have a lot of nostalgia for hours seeing it performed live twice, and then I have a lot of nostalgia for Casually Dressed and all the EPs for discovering and finding all the other bands around them and all the music and sounds that that they were importing from America and. I think they were such an important band, not just for for me sonically, but also probably for me visually. I ended up going for the the whole fringe and skinny jeans look eventually, and in part down to the the look that I was probably first introduced to by them. So, yeah, if anyone wants to call me a floppy head, Jordy cunt again, they can just thank Matt Davies for it. <laughs> if Matt's listening, I'm sure he will be uh, scratching his head right now. <laughs> Like, what the fuck was this all about? <laughs> it's like, I don't know whether to feel complimented well, um, or insulted. <laughs> hopefully complimented. It's a, compl- because... it's a full-on compliment. I have got nothing but praise for the man. I'd love to meet them all. Where where, where are we? Funeral for a Friend were founded in 2001. We are in 2021. I have listened to and loved this band for near enough 20 years. And grateful for, for the music that, that, that they've put out there over the years and yeah, uh, we'll forever sort of remember this band. Totally, totally. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Um, Keith, what album are we going to be discussing next time? Shit, that's the thing I'm supposed to do. Was that, is it me or you? No, it's me, because technically we did Funeral for a Friend. And I did Head, Lateralis. And okay, you did Lateralis. Right. So, okay. no pressure. No pressure, no pressure at all. All right, let's go for. We're coming out of new metal. Uh-huh. We're gonna sort of. We've touched on emo with funeral for a friend. I'm gonna cover what it is to burn by Finch. One album, one album. Yes. Thumbs up. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good for this. I'm good for this one. That was that was a big album for me, back in the day. So I'm, uh, this, I'm looking this forward went... to revisit. The, these guys went hand in hand with Funeral for a Friend. Yes, yeah. On my mini discs, just they were there. That was that was it. Yeah. I didn't even mean to make that connection, but I'm just looking at what is our spreadsheet and uh, what it is to burn is coming up for me. So I'm, I'm definitely going to hit that. Wish to shout out to one of our listeners, Ross. You asked for it. There it is. Here it comes. We're doing Finch. Thanks, Ross. 
Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for Ped for joining us. Keith, you just want to mention something? Anything you want to close off with, Ped, for, for Frontier or any tours or shows or anything coming up? I was just laughing there as when Love was saying, like, thanks so much for Ped. It was almost as if you were talking about to the gods, like, thanks so much for because I never heard five four into the but... two. No, it's it's been it's been so awesome to uh to chat with you you both tonight. It's been class and to be honest I didn't even realise the, the, the time it's sort of flown by, but it's been very chill and yeah, with with Frontier new album oxidized 30th of september or the 1st of october um we'll see what happens but check it out and look forward to touring in 2022 and uh, we've got four or five festivals already confirmed so should be some cool things happening next year wicked if you're ever in the north of england because you might not be aware i live in huddersfield not edinburgh i'll uh, i'll be checking you guys out for sure didn't know that that's that's interesting no cool uh yeah ab- absolutely absolutely we'll be down we'll be down that sort of way like uh holland and whatnot uh definitely sweet live do you want to take us home sure so uh thank you very much for for pedro Valani for joining us today we have been alive or just blethering and next week on the podcast keith will be taking us through finch what it is to burn thank you very much for listening <laughs>